chapter 17. Immorality that is mentioned there is spiritual immorality. The morals spiritually that will devastate the world and overtake religion. And there will be a one world religion. And we saw that that time will come where that religion will be judged. And it's called spiritual Babylon. In chapter 18, we're looking again at Babylon's fall. But chapter 18 deals with the destruction of the one world political and economic system. What happens in the tribulation period is the one world religion will take over and politicians will see an advantage to helping bring that into existence because they will run on the tail of that and join in with that in order to advance their own personal causes. Politics will become very religious for a time till it becomes overpowering. The economy will tag onto this religious movement because it will ensure great success economically. So you have these three huge events taking place, the religious growth, the political growth, the economic growth. But then the time will come where politics will say we've had enough of the church and we'll destroy it. And the one world church will be gone. It'll be consumed by those that they had embraced with and joined arms with. That's chapter 17. Chapter 18, we see that God, who caused the destruction of the one world religion, will now bring about the destruction of the one world political and economical system. So that's what we're looking at this afternoon. In verses 1 through 3, And after these things, the things of chapter 17, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So we hear a report about this destruction of Babylon, kind of a carryover from chapter 17, But we see this announcement in verse 1 through 3, the fall of Babylon announced. After these things, I saw another angel. Of course, these things refer back to chapter 17. Another angel is, it's literally an angel. It is not the Lord Jesus Christ. By his description, this angel is an important position of great importance in the work of God. And he cries out with a strong voice, a voice that draws attention that everyone is going to hear. And then the announcement of Babylon's fall is given in verse 2 and 3. As I said earlier, chapter 17 covered Babylon's fall religiously. Chapter 18 covers Babylon's fall politically and also, if you'll add in your notes, and economically. And the phrase is used in verse 2, and he cried aloud with a mighty and strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. This is a double phrase indicating a sudden, unexpected destruction. 
The double phrase indicates a total destruction. You see, it's kind of like our world today. If God chose to bring judgment on the world today and end what's going on in the world today, the world would be absolutely shocked. Because they don't expect that. They're not anticipating that. I mean, they've already negated God. They've just taken him completely out of the picture. The God that they, the world serves is the God of their own creation. Usually it's their wallet, their bank accounts. That's their God. Everything is financially motivated for the most part. And so if God were to come and bring that type of judgment now, it would be sudden. It would be, it would be astonishing. And that's what's going to happen here. Things are flowing along pretty well. Life is going on. The devil's in control. He's doing his thing. He's having a good time. And all of a sudden, God brings down judgment. And it's going to be a finality to it. It's going to come suddenly, and it's going to come unexpectedly, and it's going to be total in its destruction. Babylon, we see here, becomes the home of devils and the hideout of every evil spirit and a refuge for every unclean and hateful bird, as verse 2 describes it. The word habitation is a dwelling place. The phrase, the word demons is, devils is used here, or demons, who are Satan's handymen. It becomes a hold of every foul spirit. It's a hideout of every unclean and evil spirit. You can refer back to chapter 16 to see that. It is a cage, same word as a hold, a hideout. For every unclean, that's spiritually unclean. And every hateful bird, that's the opposite of love. And the bird's a feathered animal. You say, what does that represent? You'll have to ask God when you get to heaven. I'll leave it where it is. But it's not going to be a pleasant place to be. It's not going to be a place where people want to live and dwell. The world's government in Babylon. The abandonment of the destroyed Babylon to demons is a divine judgment stemming from the utter wickedness of its inhabitants. Verse 3, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So we see the fall of Babylon in verse 1 to 3, verse 2, or point 2, the call to separate from Babylon in verse 4 and 5. It's a twofold call in verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So this twofold purpose of the call to separate is one, to not take part in her sin, and secondly, to not be impacted by the judgments from God. God's saying, get out of there. I don't want you hanging around with a bad crowd, and I don't want you there when I destroy it. So get out of there. Babylon's sin has reached up to heaven and is remembered by God in verse number five. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. The phrase reached unto heaven could be a play on the words with a reference to the idea of the Tower of Babel. Remember, if you go back to the Old Testament times, the Tower of Babel, 
the people all of the world decided to build this tower to heaven. And God said, unless I confound their languages, they're going to be successful. And so God confounded the languages, and that's where we come up with our different nations and our different languages. And so it could be a reference to that, a drawback, the idea that what they're doing has reached up to where I am. Now, God is aware of everything that's going on. Don't, don't think that, okay, well, it takes God time to find out. That's not true. God knows everything about everything. And he knew about it in eternity past before it ever happened. So it's not that he suddenly learns about it. Says, oh, I got to deal with this. No, he knew about it in eternity past. But now the time has come where it reaches and he draws his attention, says it's time to do something. All the sins are carefully recorded by God and not one is missed. As they're committed, they pile up and ultimately the one committing them has to be dealt with. So we see this is what takes place. A call to separation from Babylon and because her sin has reached up to heaven. Third, we see in verse 6 to 8, the indictment against Babylon. Verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. Reward her even as she rewarded you. You know, Galatians 6, 7, which a lot of people forget about, says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And so God keeps perfect records and he rewards her as she has done herself. The word reward here is not a good thing. It's the idea of give back or pay a debt. And the reward her double, twice as much, because of the enormity of her sin. Twice as much punishment for the sin she has committed. Babylon had lived defiantly against God, knowing the judgment of God upon sin. Babylon ignored it and tried even harder to commit more sin. So Babylon's defiant. The government is defiant. Our, we see our government today as defiant. They're defiant of God. America that was founded on Christian principles. We've never, ever really been a Christian nation. We haven't. We've practiced a lot of Christian principles. But we've always had those in leadership that were not believers, who did things in a way that was not pleasing to the Lord. But we can see in our world today, and especially in America, how defiant our government, our national government in Washington has become against God, the Bible, and Christianity and is becoming more bold and brazen all the time against the things of God. And anyone who holds to God's truth and claims to be a believer and tries to explain to leadership in Washington that they should be repenting of their sin, we're called hate mongers and troublemakers. Why? Because we're not going along with their sin. They know it's sin. They know it's wrong. But they do it anyhow. 
and they delight in doing it. Now amplify that to the end time. And that'll give you a picture of what the one world government is going to be like in the end. It is going to be so anti-God and anti-Bible and anti-Christian. And the things they're going to be doing against Christians and Christianity is just going to be absolutely shocking. But God is keeping perfect records. And you won't always remember that. Now, we don't face a lot of persecution in America today. And maybe you have a little persecution where you work. Maybe you've suffered some promotions because of your being a believer. Or maybe there's some people that don't like you. Or maybe you get stuck with all the nasty jobs because that you're a Christian. Remember this. Don't worry about it. God is keeping perfect records. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And we need not get involved in getting even or getting back. Now we can speak out for what we believe is right. And when they're violating clear business principles that are laid down where you work, you can speak out on that. But do it in a Christ-like manner. Because God is keeping perfect records. And it doesn't matter how defiant they may come or become. The time's going to come when God will protect you and deal with them. So we see that the reward here is double what she has done, what the government has done, what Babylon has done, is to be rewarded double. How much, verse 7, how much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she said in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. The leaders of the world today that are anti-God, this is their attitude. Nobody can do anything against me. Nobody can hurt me. And if anybody tries, I will deal with them. And they are blatantly and arrogantly self-contained. They don't need anybody. And they're in charge. And their mentality is like this. I'm to be glorified. I have everything I want. I live a good life. Anything I want, I can have it. I am the ruler. I said as queen. I don't have any sorrow. What I want, I can provide for myself. I can make my own happiness. And I'm not going to see any sorrow. I've got this plan laid out to such a degree that I'm going to be the winner, period. Or my political party is going to be the winner. Or whatever it may be. They're arrogant in our world today. So it's easy to see how this will ultimately play out in the end. So we see point B, Babylon's arrogant, defiant attitude. God's going to destroy it. Babylon's pride, God will humble. Notice verse eight. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Babylon's judgment is going to come in one day. That's the idea of a great sudden catastrophe. 
It would be nigh impossible in our world today for another government to totally destroy another government in one day. Now, they could destroy the leaders, but that government has got leaders under them. But when God does this, it's going to be totally annihilated at once. In a moment of time, God will speak the word and it will be destroyed. Why? Because he's God. And he has given them time after time after time to repent. And they've chosen not to. They become more defiant, more arrogant, more self-reliant, more anti-God, more anti-Jesus Christ. And so they have reached a point where their sin has reached to heaven. God said, that's enough. And now he will bring judgment on this one world political system. And in one day, a sudden catastrophe will take place. And in one day, there shall her plagues come. Death, loss of life and purpose for existence to those who escape death. Mourning, sorrow, and great grief. Famine, loss of income and gain. And utterly burned with fire, total destruction. In other words, when God hits this one world system, He's going to hit them where it hurts from all angles and totally annihilate it. Well, it's going to be a shocker. The world is going to be suddenly caught off guard. Many of you weren't alive years ago when President Kennedy was assassinated. I was young then. I remember where I was. I was in an English class in high school when we got the information. It shocked the world. I mean, there were people who didn't like him. There were people who didn't vote for him. There were world leaders that hated him. But it absolutely shocked the world when the news came down that President Kennedy had been assassinated. Think about that when the world leadership, the one world government, is no more. No more. You look for it, it's not there. It's gone. The people are gone. The leadership's gone. It's gone. It's going to be absolutely shocking to the entire world. So we see in verse 9 and 10, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. So we see number four, the lamentation of earth's kings. Those who hated religious Babylon and were partners in her ruin, chapter 17, verse 16, now mourn over political Babylon's ruin. Those kings who agreed to destroy the one world religion so that they might rule and reign supreme and nobody overthrow them are suddenly overthrown. And now these kings that had joined with this one world government are, what do we do now? Our leadership's gone. Our loyalty's gone. Where do we go? Where do we get our support system? Where do we get our financial backing? Where do we get our munitions? It's all gone. And it's just absolutely shocking. Those who were part of that one world system that yet were not destroyed, they mourn over Babylon's ruin. The Mourning of the kings is enormous 
and is provoked by fear because they say they stand afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Their fear is caused by the suddenness of Babylon's destruction and utter ruin. Then we see in verse 11 through 19, the lamentation of earth's merchants. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones, of pearls, of fine linen, of purple, of silk, of scarlet, and all thine and wood, and all manner of vessels of ivory, and all manners of vessels of precious wood, and of brass and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and odors, and ointments, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beasts, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and souls of men. That's quite a list. Many of the things we see on the list shows us how ruthless this one world government will be. It will go back to slavery. People being slaves and treated like animals. You see that in the last part of verse 13. Verse 12 speaks of the finer things of life that this one world government now has control over, the delicacies of the world. Then we see in the first part of verse 13 some of the more interesting things that people wouldn't all have, but those who are in upper positions in the world and can afford the finer things of life, these are things that are listed there. And so we find this lamentation, verse point five of the earth's merchants. Economically, Babylon seems to have become the trade center of the world. It also seems to have become the political center of the world. And global business flowed through political Babylon and is instantly lost with its destruction. Everything that was going fine with the world and the merchants of the world suddenly is gone. The merchants' mourning is not for Babylon, but for the business they have lost, because they can no longer buy the things that Babylon provided, because the government is gone. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm not going to be there when that happens. We're just saying about it that we are good because we have been saved and we can rejoice in the fact that this is not going to be a part of who we are or what happens to us personally. But folks, it's coming. God's keeping perfect records and we need to remember that. And so we come to verse number 20 and there is rejoicing in heaven over the fall of Babylon. Verse number 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Rejoicing in heaven. God's righteous judgment should always be a cause for rejoicing for the righteous. I don't want to see the lost judged, but I know this about the judgment of God. It will come when these people have had every possible opportunity to repent and be saved. And it won't come any sooner. It'll come when God said, that's enough. 
I've given them every opportunity I can. They're not going to respond, so I'm going to destroy them. But we as believers ought to rejoice in the fact that God's still in control. He's still on the throne. And even though it looks like that the world is going to destroy Christianity, it's not going to happen. It's not going to destroy Christianity. It's not going to destroy God. It's not going to destroy the Bible. We will be the victors in the end. God hath avenged you on her, the verse says. He always repays the ungodly for their unrepentant actions. And then point seven, the utter destruction of Babylon in verses 21 to 24. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea saying, thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voices of pipers and the musicians and of pipers and trumpeteers and shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found no more in thee. And the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. The utter destruction of Babylon. No more. No more. No more violence that we see in verse 21. This is impetuous evil response. Just being evil because they enjoy being evil. It's just hard to think of people being like that. They get their joy from being ruthless and vile and evil. That's what makes them happy. That's a wicked heart. Musicians will, of all sorts, all types of musicians and music will be gone. Craftsmen, artistic creations of all types will be gone. Sounds of a millstone, agriculture, and the food supplies will be gone. The light of the candle, no light, only darkness because Babylon no longer exists. The voice of the bride, groom and the bride, the joy and continuation of life's relationships, all gone. Why? Because Babylon is no more. Utterly destroyed, gone, gone. And then verse 23 through 24, we see another brief summary of the extent of Babylon's greatness and its sins. In verse 23, for thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. The merchants, the normal life were Babylon merchants were the profiteers. These people ruled. There are people in the world today who are vying to be the most powerful men and women in the world. And they are being extremely successful in their ventures. They're doing it quietly 
and privately. But there are certain men, if I were to name names, you would know who they are, who are taking over control of the world, financially, agriculturally, because they intend on ruling the world. You'd be amazed if you knew what's going on behind the scenes that the average person never hears about. That's these people. Now, whether it be the ones that are alive now or not, I don't know, but it's that kind of mentality. These people, these merchants are profiteers and they have the authority and the power and the money to buy control and buy up everything. And that's exactly what they do. And this is their sorceries. The word sorceries is the idea of the use of drugs, medicines, and spells. From the Greek word for sorceries, we get our English word pharmacy. What's happening in our pharmaceutical world today? What's happening with the cost of necessary drugs for people in America? You see how this all is beginning to set a pattern? You know, we say, what is going on? The end time's going on. That's what's happening. The world's getting ready for Christ to come back and take us home and then the judgment on the earth. Then it says, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. The blood of prophets and saints, massacres of God's people and all that were slain upon the earth. Babylon is responsible for the wrongful killing of all people saved and unsaved. We're talking about the destruction of a vile, wicked, unimaginable political system and an economic system that again is also vile and wicked and orchestrated by key people wanting to be in control of the world's economies. Whether you realize it or not, it's happening in our world today. There are a few in power who are controlling the financial movement of the world. And their whole intention is to take over everything and be in charge. And you and I become their slaves. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Because that's the world we're living in. Say, so, well, preacher, you paint an awfully bleak system. That's mm, true. It is bleak. But I know a Savior. And this world's not my home. That song's an old one. But it's, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Don't forget that. It all has to play out. We, fortunately, get the privilege of being here to see some of this beginning to fall into place. But we don't have to scratch our head and say, what in the world's going on? We know what's going on. We're told right here. And these are exciting days to be living in. Because we know God. He's on the throne and he's watching over his children. And we know how it all ends. And we're coming to that very shortly. I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's so interesting to think about what's happening, what's going to happen, the devastation that will take place, the ruin, the heartache, the loss of lives, the loss of income, 
all because people will not bow their knee to Jesus. Instead, they snub him, they curse him, they shake their fist at him, they deny him, and by so doing, they bring about their own eternal destruction. And sadly, Lord, these people will go through such devastation here on the earth. And when we get over to chapter 20, we'll find they go through horrendous suffering and pain for all eternity. So, Lord, I pray that this afternoon, if there's anybody here without Christ as their Savior, that they would come to know him soon, that the Spirit of God will convict them of their unsaved state and cause them to bow their knee and trust Christ as Savior. So, Father, we commit now this word back to you, and we thank you that we have the hope of Christ within us. So may that keep us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.